I like to use a cut that definitely has fat on it because the flavour of pork fat is stunning. But I guess knowing what part you're cooking and what temperatures to sort of take that to in terms of rendering the fat enough that it will be enjoyable to eat. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We used to think of it as the Wild West. Western Australia was once considered somewhat of a culinary wasteland, but a swag of professionals have come along to explore nature's bounty and deliver some of Australia's best restaurants. And for Brendan Pratt, he wouldn't have it any other way. Brendan, how are you? Good, yeah. Thanks, Huck. Thanks for having me. It's good to catch up. Uh, Tell us how things are over there in Western Australia at the moment. Yeah, good. Uh, Busy. We've seen sort of, I think, uh, Premier's let people back in for a little while now. So we've seen a bit of influx of tourism, which has been fantastic. And yeah, we've been super busy down here in the southwest. So yeah, it really feels like it's sort of up on the up. These days you're at Vass Felix. Tell us a little bit about the southwest and and what it's like down there. Yeah, I mean, it's... um, Biasly opinion, probably one of the most beautiful places on earth. Um, incredible surf, beautiful beaches, uh, the landscape's amazing, some great wineries and uh, bits to do on your day off and places to explore, amazing nature. And, yeah, just pretty lucky to work in one of the most sort of beautiful places, Look, overlook some vines and some lovely lawns. And, uh, yeah, I'm just looking out the window now. It's green and bright blue. So, yeah, pretty stunning. Tell us a bit about uh, what you're doing there at Vass Felix and um, and the offering. Yeah, so we we're a winery um, first and foremost, um, and then the restaurant is sort of sits on the side of that, and I guess offers people the, the chance to experience the wine. I guess in a setting that is uh, tailored to how we would like people to eat and drink. Um, so the menu is all purely based around the wine. So it's all wine led menu. Uh, everything we come up with always. At the, at the heart of the dish has a, a wine match and I guess starts there. So whenever we're thinking of dishes and produce to use, we're always thinking of what that what that wine match may be and we work really closely with the winemakers and um, Evan, our SOM, and the whole kitchen crew sort of work together to come up with these dishes that uh, I guess show the wine first but in doing so sort of really help the dishes balance and, and the wine it's, itself too. So, yeah, pretty lucky. Tell us a bit about the producers of the region that you connect with. Um, yeah, we've got some amazing people. Um, some abalone that's grown down south, um, just in Augusta. They all hand out, all, all uh, wild and hand caught, hand dived. Um, that's pretty special. We've got some um, just little farmers that we we link up with. So guys, a guy called Mario, an older guy, um, double hit replacement, wanders in, carries buckets of produce into the kitchen every uh, Wednesday, just depending on what he's got. Um, and then amazing people like um, Berkshire Pork, Kerry at Berkshire Pork, who's just, we've got this amazing little relationship with and we've just used her pork for, for ages now. So, yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that pork. What's what, what are they doing there and what's so great about it? Well, it's, um, so it's all raised in Beverly, which is in um, just a couple of hours from where we are. Uh, it's all black uh, Berkshire pigs and I guess they, they're slow-growing pigs so they don't... Um, have the sort of return that a normal farm, I guess, might have. So it's quite slow, but they what they feed them on is completely 100% West Australian product, um, really kind of high in oleic acid. Um, and, yeah, they, they, they're fed a lot on the maize that's grown on this ord irrigation scheme. So 
yeah, kind of uh, a little bit sustainable. They're using cold pressed uh, oil, some wine caught, uh, some wild caught tuna meal, and then they feed like the uh, the lactating sows. They feed them chocolate biscuits, and then the uh, the weaners get like chocolate milk. So, wow. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting stuff actually. What, what what does that result in? You know, that's you know having chocolate and chocolate milk. What sort of what impact does it have on the flesh and the and the fat of the pig? Well, yeah, it just gets this really nice, uh, super tender, it's really juicy, um, quite clean and white flesh, um, and the fat is just um, delicious and clean and white as well. And so, yeah, I think just that sort of high fatty acid is just great for them and, and, and the care is shown. And, and yeah, when you, when you get it, you can really, really feel the difference and, and the communication is there too, which I think is really important. Yeah, I want to explore some of the dishes that you do with that pork sort of down the line a little bit. But take us when to it, back to when you were young. Um, what was food like in your family growing up? Um, really important, but in a kind of um, back, backwards kind of way. Like it was never really talked about, I guess, but my dad and my mum, mum's always um, – they're both not in the industry at all, but dad was a designer and my mum uh, was working at a university. But they had um, – sourdough mother under the stairs that always and made, made made bread from scratch we had um i never used a microwave until i stepped into a commercial kitchen which i this is probably a bit backwards because they're amazing but <laughs> um and then like pate and liver livers and things on the weekends and i'd take pate sandwiches to school we had olive trees just we had lived in a small unit but we had some olive trees so sort of picking olives from a kid and and brining them and sort of that was just the thing that you did so yeah I think it was funny because I just assumed it was all normal and I guess not having like a um yeah they're both English but not really having sort of a heritage to jump back into and, and sort of I didn't have any family around grandparents or anything around when I was a kid um so I guess it was just interesting that I just assumed that was what everyone did. Was a career as a chef something you'd always wanted to do or did you have other plans? Um, my dad actually, funny enough, sort of told me that um, a few times I remember saying, like, I love cooking, maybe I should do it. And dad said, don't do not do what you love to do because you'll ruin it, um, which is funny coming from a man that's a designer and obviously loves it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit, a bit strange. But I um, no, I, I thought about doing architecture um, and art and music and that's sort of what I followed pathways down and, and then um, but started working in a kitchen as a kitchen hand, uh, as so many kids do, I guess, at that sort of 15, 14, 15-year-old 15 age and just fell in love with the kitchen and with the camaraderie, with the people and um, the, the action, I guess. And, um, yeah, never looked back. Well, what were the kitchens of WA like back then? Um, I was working in a uh, golf course uh, kitchen, so I was kind of doing like little functions at night and um, some pretty basic kind of fast food I guess you could say for the, but we made all the pies from scratch and all the sausage rolls and that sort of stuff and I just loved doing it and we're going early to help the chef uh who owner Dave who got me got me into cooking just make them all and then one day he sort of just said to me like oh you, you know I think you should do an apprenticeship so I, I just assumed he meant there and um he just turned around and said not here you got to go somewhere else and he got me yeah an apprenticeship at well helped me get an apprenticeship at uh, Fraser's with Chris Taylor and that yeah, which was I was super lucky, and I guess didn't really realize that until a few years down the track, just how lucky I was when I started started going to TAFE and things, and realizing that the basics you get from working in sort of a, a beast like Fraser's was at the time that it was um, really beneficial to a young kid. Um, yeah. 
Chris Taylor is a bit of a legend of the um, Perth dining scene. Do you have any stories of what it was like working with him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess Chris has been somewhat of a mentor to me over, over many years. I worked with him for, I guess, probably all, all up about 10 years. So almost half of my career, uh, well, probably more than half of my career, I've worked with Chris. But he's, yeah, like you said, a bit of a legend, a, a tough, tough and fair all at the same time. So I think if you worked hard and put your head down, super fair and loved sort of mentoring and the little tips here and there. Um, and I remember this uh, head chef at the time, Greg, who, who was pretty full on and, and an amazing chef um, and really sort of pushed everyone. And he'd had a crack at me basically because I split the anglaise making ice cream. And I think I'd only worked there for three months, you know, like I had no idea what an anglaise was, but I'd, I'd split it. And um, uh, he was having a crack at me and I was – I was just super shaken up and didn't know what to do and Chris kind of happened to wander into the kitchen at the time and he, he showed me, just chucked it in a blender and blended it and then he said, oh, look, mate, it's not what you do but it's not about how you get yourself in the shit, it's about how you get yourself out. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever forgotten that. It was just a nice little um, little word of wisdom and then he just disappeared again. But, yeah, he's um, he was always there at the right time, Chris. You spent some time away from WA as well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, um, I think I was really lucky having Chris's sort of guidance um, and when I finished up my apprenticeship there, I, I, sort of worked, I think I did another year or something and he said, look, mate, you should go experience some stuff and um, really help sort of push me in the right direction. Um, and I went over and started work at the Ritz in London with, with John Williamson and um, John Will- and he, he actually, I'd, I'd only done about two weeks at the Ritz and John said, if there's anywhere you could go, and work where would you work and I said uh the fat duck um and he turned and he turned around and said oh well that's funny because I've actually got um a stars position lined up for you and you you leave tomorrow yeah I don't know why it fell into my lap or how how I was that lucky but it did um yeah and then I just worked my my ass off and as a stage and then ended up getting employed there so I was yeah really lucky so I worked at fat duck for a little bit moved down the road to the waterside inn for a little while, um, and then back down into London to work at the library. Take us into the kitchens of the Fat Duck. What, what surprised you about working there? Um, I guess the calmness. Um, I kind of, you know, you hear these horror stories, Michelin star places, and how uh, aggressive and sort of intimidating they can be. And this was definitely intimidating, but there was no aggressiveness. Uh, there was no ego. There was no none of that. It was all very, very meticulously organised. Um, so I guess everyone, because of that organisation, I guess there was no stress really, there was, or less stress. It was all kind of you knew what was happening. Everyone had their bit to do, and everyone did that bit, whether how small that bit was in the scheme of things. If everyone did their little bit, it kind of just worked together. So I guess that teamwork and organisation, it was calm. There was music playing. Everyone was having a good time. Yeah, and it kind. Of, but I guess there was forty five chefs and forty five customers. So I suppose that kind of helped <laughs> with the ratio. England's always been considered a rite of passage for for so many Australian chefs. You mentioned the Waterside Inn and the Ledbury, like legendary uh, restaurants. Well, what did you take from your time in the UK? Um, I think just it was quite humbling. I think I came out of um, WA especially at the time, 15, 6, 17 years ago or something, being probably, like like you mentioned, not really being on the map culinary-wise, I guess, and, and it, like you said, a rite of passage to go to London and, and you know, an absolute beast and, and you think, you know, this will, I can learn a bit here. And I, I guess I kind of 
came out with a bit of an ego thinking, oh, you know, I'm this, I can cook, I'm pretty good, and then got there and quite quickly realised <laughs> that I was absolutely no good at cooking and I had a lot to learn. Um, and I think that probably that experience in just realising that, you know, there's so much else going on um, and so much I don't understand and, and look, most of the ingredients and things were just so far from what I'd ever experienced. So, yeah, I think that, that sort of – and I worked there for almost oh, five years and I think that I, I still was discovering stuff and learning stuff towards the end. I didn't necessarily really want to come back. It was just timing-wise and everything kind of worked out for me to come back to, to Perth. What was it like coming back to Perth? Was it challenging for you? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, challenging in the fact that I came back, uh, just on a holiday and then happened to fall into a, a head chef role back for Chris, for Chris Taylor actually. Yeah. And I, I and probably thought to myself, I'd get time to maybe knuckle down and, um, actually take a role because I've been working in the, the French Alps cooking in a chalet and that was more fun than, uh, I guess, wasn't really pushing my career, if you could, if you could say. It was more. Uh, it was a lot of skiing going on, and not so much cooking. So um, when I found that role, I think it was uh, right timing and and things. But I guess I might have had a bit of a uh, maybe a chip on my shoulder, a little bit of of how hard that you I thought people should work, and um, kind of maybe pulled that old school mentality in slightly too much, and maybe found that a bit tough. What made you change from that old school mentality to a more modern approach? I think we've spoken about this before, you and I, but um, it was definitely down to a couple of close friends of mine who I was working with at the time and um, they, you know, just pulled me aside and just said, look, we really wanted to come and work back with you again and, and sort of, you know, we thought we could do some cool things and, and we could all have a good time together, but ne- none of us want to work here and no one else does either. No one likes you. They don't. They want to cook with you, but they don't want to hang out with you. They don't like you, and I was just like, "Oh, Jesus!" <laughs> and yeah, it was a bit of a slap. I think it was a bit of a slap in the face. Um, but it took two two people that I really trusted to um to sort of snap me out of it. And then I guess from there, I guess I just had some bad role models. I guess not bad, but um, role models of that sort of um older mentality of of work ethic and and things like that. And then just slowly realise that that's actually not what life's about. Um, yeah. How did you land the the gig at Vas Felix? <laughs> um, very sort of um, a guy that I worked with called Caleb, um, who's the hospitality manager here at Vas Felix. I worked with him in the past. Um, and another guy that I had, who had been a restaurant manager on the floor um, at Fraser's when I was an apprentice, Tony Liversage had both been working for Vas Felix for a number of years, Tony in the uh, national sales area and Caleb in the restaurant down here at Vas. And he, they both called me and said, look, Aaron Carr has left after 21 years or some extraordinary length of time um, and there's a position. And at the time in WA, this position at Vas Felix was like the the king position. It was, it was known of having a bit of life balance um, but also a stunning restaurant and sort of the, the level of quality that they sort of pushed to. So I thought, oh, yeah, I don't really want to move down south, but I might give it a go and really just sort of under, underwhelmingly applied for this position. And then I went for an interview. I was lucky enough to get an interview. And when I went, I walked away from the interview and rang my wife and said, I need this job. This is uh, yeah, just truly the interview process. Everything from the ground up here is just um, 
executed really well. It's all thought out. No movements are ever made unless it has a purpose. So, yeah, it, it's a really um, – it was a really humbling experience to sort of take this role and, and start almost like it was my first head chef role, I think, and, and sort of take it from the ground and just really listen to what they wanted. What sort of impact has this role at Vast Felix had on, on you and your approach to what you do as well? Um, a huge impact. Um, I guess focusing a lot on team teamwork, on, on cultural fit of people, um, which we are lucky enough to be able to do. I think um, the people that we have here are amazing, the team. Um, my sous chef Cam Jones and I just work really closely together um, and build sort of such a strong relationship in the kitchen with all the guys that and we're just very lucky to have people that all buy into what we do um from myself as well as all everyone and kitchen hands and wait staff and we all sort of there's a lot of training involved and so i think just the impact of this place has just really shown me that um i always knew that it was a team atmosphere and everyone had to do but there's definitely a couple of people guiding it but this place is really guided by the whole team a bit earlier on, you mentioned the amazing um, pork producer that you work closely with. Tell us about um, cooking pork. Is there a couple of cuts or techniques that you prefer when you're cooking it? Yeah. Um, well, the uh, very cliche, but I do love the belly um, and, and the roast belly with amazing crackling. But we did have a jowl on the menu here for a little while, um, which we've just swapped actually, but it will be going back on soon I think because we've had a bit of uh, we copped a bit of flack from people for taking it off um, but it's yeah it's just a jowl um, good quality jowl big from these Berkshire pork they've got nice um, skin on it we shave them back and then um, dry them for two days just in the fridge and then hang them and then we take them off and uh, for service we just literally just cover the top um, well, sorry, first we spike it with like a really, uh, uh, how do I say it, a medieval-looking kind of tool, just loads of spikes on the end of this like handle um, and just spike, gets loads of spikes. And, and the more holes, the better that you can get into the skin, but only just penetrating the skin, not really down through the fat. And then cover it with about a, a centimetre layer, a half a centimetre layer of salt, table salt, just on top. And then we roast that pork um, about 200 degrees for 30 minutes and it just, um, after that, we brush all the salt off and then pop it back in for about another 10 minutes and it just creates this huge bubble crackling and then you're left with this really nice sort of tender bit of jowl meat underneath and the fat's kind of rendered down and, yeah, it's just nice and it's basically just crackling with a tiny bit of meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you serve something um, so rich and special with? Um, we actually serve it with a sauce that we make from um, chicken bones and Szechuan. So a little bit of that Szechuan kind of helps cut through that. It's got a bit of rice vinegar in it um, and salted black beans, fermented salted black beans. Um, and then just a little bit of cabbage that's barbecued over the um, over the hibachi grill, over the coals. So just really simple. But, um, yeah, and that was with paired with a... Um, a skinsy, heavy skin contact, um, Sav Blanc, so quite quite tight and um, really nice sort of tannins and things in that, so it kind of helped with that, with the fattiness. Has there been other cuts that you've um, that you've menued that you can tell us about with a particular dish? Uh, yeah, at the moment we've got a collar on, so the neck 
sort of area which we slow cook overnight, uh, press it, slice it, um, and we glaze that in like a sauce that we make with um, camp hot pepper and then we glaze that and barbecue that over the coals. Um, we do like this little thing every now and again here where we cook for sort of friends and family. Um, well, they buy tickets but it's extremely cheap and it's kind of a locals thing and we do that with pork belly and we kind of follow the same roasting technique that we do with the uh, it's kind of a chinese style roasting technique that we do with the jowl as well but we follow that with pork belly and just slice it and serve it with chili jam um and just before that we were doing some loin so getting the whole loins in um and the ribs we would take off and use those we'd hang them for five days and then the ribs we take off and use for staff meals because that was that was pretty, we were pretty <laughs> yeah that why not uh and then the loin yeah we would just um uh, slow cook. We we um, again then put the loin into koji for three days into shio koji, and then we would barbecue it from there. Yeah, so we're lucky that we get here. That uh, I guess the the amount of customers that we do allows us to use a l- some things that are some product like this Black Label Berkshire that we can. They've got a good quality a quantity that we can use. Um, we are sort of I guess not so busy in terms of the fact that we can use a smaller producer and not have to use heaps and heaps. So, yeah. What's important when um, cooking pork from your perspective? Um, I think, obviously, um, retaining the fat. I like to use a cut that definitely has fat on it because the flavour of pork fat is stunning. But I guess um, knowing what part you're cooking and, and how what temperatures to sort of take that to in terms of whether you're rendering the fat enough that it will be enjoyable to eat and not sort of chewy. Um, and then, but also understanding the fact that that meat is so tender and juicy, but don't, does not want to get dry. And um, I think most of my, my sort of past dealings that as I was growing up, I didn't enjoy pork so much because I didn't, maybe uh, when I was eating it, it was always dry and fatty. And so I think just recognizing that just to take it, take a bit of care and, and love and treat it like it, the meat that it is and, and the respect that it deserves. Some of the cuts and dishes that you spoke of previously rely on some incredible crackling. What's what's the secret to getting that crackling bang on? Uh, I think it's time, um, which often people don't have. But I think when you when you're talking about things like crackling, that um, you just can't sacrifice time. So that that sort of few days of drying in the in a fridge that sort of allow all that moisture, a lot of the moisture to leave the skin. And then the piercing of the skin, I think, is is my number one thing that I I do. I, I haven't been someone that's poured pour boring water on or rubbed it with vinegar. Um, I've always sort of reverted back to that spiking. And uh, before we got these tools made up that we can use, I did it with a pin, which was <laughs> pain, a bit painstaking, <laughs> but definitely um, worth it. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty glad we got these tools made, but yeah. How long did that take with a pin? Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of hours, but definitely worth it. Uh, WA has changed so much and there's just so many extraordinary um, chefs and restaurants at the moment. Tell us a bit about it and and where you see um, WA in regards to food. Um, yeah, I think we were really lucky, actually. Um, we were just at the WA Good Food Guide Awards uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the awards night is just one of those nights that I really look forward to every year, getting to go and hang out with lots of mates that we've made over the last sort of few years in hospitality and in WA and, and before that. And I think it's just such a nice um, kind of camaraderie that we all share 
Um, and ever it's just I don't ever feel uncomfortable reaching out to someone and being like, oh, I saw that thing that you did. Where did you get that from? Or, you know, what? how are you doing that? How are you cooking that? And everyone's really just about up and about and sharing things. And, and it's not – it's, you know, the better that we do, the better it is for everyone. So, you know, if we can all help each other, and I kind of really feel like that's something that we all just understand. It's almost like an unwritten rule that you all just – jump on board and help people and there's a guy down here that's just just come in from sydney actually to to run a new restaurant that's opening just up the road um and it was so nice that everyone down here sort of got around him and invited him into like a little curry night at a mate's place and sort of brought him into the circle a little bit i guess and um sort of just share ideas and just say oh mate if you need anything or looking for a supplier just shout out so yeah it's a really nice sort of um I don't really know the word, a bit of a, just a nice sort of environment that we all have happened to have created for each other. So, yeah. The last couple of years have been fairly turbulent, um, but what are you looking forward to in the sort of next year or two? Um, yeah, I think looking forward to, for myself, just getting out a little bit and exploring. Um, I haven't really, tra- I haven't travelled out of the state um, in, well, a few years now. Um, so, yeah, maybe a little bit of getting over to Melbourne and Sydney and, and seeing some people that I know and, and sort of jumping on and trying some places that I've been wanting to eat at for a long time. Um, and then I guess in terms of the restaurant, uh, maybe getting back to collaborating with a few people from interstate and overseas and um, sort of just getting back into that swing and cooking for people that are travelling over from, from Singapore and and just sort of just getting yeah back to that tourism-y kind of vibe and getting to explore, explore a bit of that. Well, uh, Brendan, it's amazing what you're doing over there and it's an honour to have you on The Crackling today to catch up with you again. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Good to, good to catch up. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.